Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Commercial Agent Success. Check it out for the ultimate and commercial real estate agent training. Write down this website. It's commercialagentsuccess.com. Well, we have a special show for you. Every year, Integra Realty Resources puts out a report called Viewpoint uh, it was 2021 this year, it's called Viewpoint. Uh, they've been doing it for 28 years, and it's a great publication. Please welcome my guest. It's Anthony Graziano. He is CEO of Integra Realty Resources. Tony, thanks for being here again. Good morning, Michael. Appreciate you uh, being here in Atlanta in Studio One again. I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back in the studio. I'm happy I got to put a tie on. <laughs> I got to put some pants on. It's fantastic. <laughs> we are wearing pants. Yes, under we desk. are. Yes, we are. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Well, um, let's report. You guys have been doing it for, for 28 years. Tell us a little bit about how you put this together and, and what you're trying to do here. Sure. So Integra Realty Resources has uh, 60 offices around the United States. Uh, primarily, our focus is appraisal, consulting, market studies. Uh, we do a lot of uh, uh, consulting work, obviously, and so all, we take all of our offices, we aggregate that information through the course of the year, we make forecasts, and for the last three or four years, as you know, uh, we've been using Hugh Kelly, a noted economist out of New York City, to help us uh, analyze the data and put together some, some forecasts for the coming year and to analyze the economic information in the context of, of the United States economy and real estate economy. That's great, and a lot of our audience uh, knows Hugh Kelly because we've had him on the show several times uh, over the years. Well, let's start with the uh, overall economy. And uh, everybody knows that COVID's kind of wrecked a, a lot of it. Um, and uh, there's a lot of negativity around that. But there's also some positive and bright spots, right? Sure. I mean, look, I think one of the big uh, takeaways and, and one of the things we'll be parsing for years about um, how we navigated COVID was really the amount of stimulus that was put out um, this year and, and likely going to continue to be put out uh, you know, under a Biden administration. I think that that's had a huge impact, positive impact overall uh, in, in letting the economy uh, get, catch a hold. Uh, in the intro to, to Viewpoints this year, I write the CEO, the opening letter. Uh, and I talk about it in terms of trying to catch the sword, right? We have the sword of Damocles hanging over our head. And the question is, you know, how do we, uh, how do we catch it? And so this stimulus was a big part of being able to catch hold. Yeah, and I love the, the overall report. Do not like the catching sword knife, knife analogy. <laughs> I've never ever liked that. Uh, but but great job on this report. Thank you. So also there's some other positives, right? We have three vaccines, Rowan. Yeah, I mean I've said again in the opening. You know, imagine the the nature of what investment would look like if we were sitting here at the end of the year and did not have any hope that the vaccines were coming. At least we are in production and in inoculation mode, and we're starting. Uh, which, you know, has been uh, very positive, I think, for the market and certainly reflected in, in investor sentiment going into the fourth quarter and heading into the first quarter of 21. And does the stock market performance surprise you at all? I mean, I think it surprised everybody. But yeah. again, it's, I, I think a lot of the stock market performance is based on the amount of liquidity that the U.S. economy has been offered vis-a-vis uh, -vis stimulus, but also, um, you know, the interest rate ad adjustments have been very positive in terms of yield accretion for real estate. And it was intentional, right? I mean, the Fed understood that in lowering interest rates, that was going to push liquidity into the market, not only in real estate, for business lending and otherwise. Uh, and those levers that they pulled really sort of helped us catch hold a little bit quicker than we otherwise would have. I think if, 
if that immediate action hadn't been taken, uh, things would have been much more dire at this juncture, even with promise of the vaccine coming out. Yeah, and then when you look at the amount of capital that's available out there, if you compare it to, to 09, if you will, you know, there's just a lot more money out there, right? Well, and that was part of it. You know, I think a, a lot of people thought that this was going to be over quicker. In the early part of the pandemic, a lot of people thought that, well, this is going to be over in three to six months and we'll work through this and it won't be a big deal. Um, but the the bright spot at that time and the one thing that everybody was holding on to was there's still a lot of capital, still a lot of equity in the marketplace. The fact that the banks continued to lend, the fact that they were the conduit for the PPP money and continued to be active uh, was, a, was a big part of, of propping the market up this year. And I think you'll see it's reflected in the numbers when we talk about the individual uh, cap rates and what's happening with investment rates. Um, it wasn't certainly as bad as it could have been. Yeah. And with some other positive news, um, there's a lot of personal savings, right? So consumers are ready to go if they can go. We hope. I mean, there's a, there's a tale of two markets there, right? That you're right that, that on the folks that kept their jobs, the personal uh, expenditures have been, everybody's had less personal expenditures, right? Less driving, less having to buy clothes, less vacations, fewer vacations. So that's built up personal savings generally. Um, but the un, that's got to, that has to be balanced by the unemployment. Um, issues and the risk of future unemployment issues going into 21. Right. And then we have a, a, a Biden presidency and they're talking about really some stimulus with infrastructure, right, and, uh, and environmental uh, improvements sure. in, in real estate. I think that's going to be uh, very interesting to see how that plays out in the next year because uh, while that would be very positive and, and we say in the report, you know, infrastructure investment obviously is a jobs creator and it's also long term good for the economy. Um, the the balancing act there is you have a lot of municipal, county, and state governments that are going to really come up short in, the, in this coming year. Um, as, the re, as the taxes get rebenchmarked and as we head through a full year, year and a half of transactions uh, coming through, there's going to be a lot of strain at the, at the state level um, that may have to, we have to, may have to balance that infrastructure spending against. But to, to your point, um, that, those investments will be good for the economy going forward, absolutely. And then maybe another bright spot is really uh COVID has brought on some new opportunities for a business in some ways, right? Sure. We, you know, we talk in this publication about transformation. Um, Hugh Kelly put a really good analogy together. He said, you know, when you came out of the 20s and hit the Great Depression, we didn't return to the Gilded Age. We didn't go necessarily back. And a lot of people talk about, well, when are we going to get back to where we were? And I think the reality of it is we're never going to get back to where we were. The question really is, where do we get to a point of stability that we're growing again? Uh, but fundamentally, I think you're going to see this is going to force some changes in our economy in a lot of different ways, um, hopefully mostly for the positive. Yeah. Let's talk about timing, Tony. You know, what do you think is a timeline? You know, is this a uh, rebound? You know, uh, what do you think the timing is for the economy and jobs to, to, to come back? Sure. It, you know, this is such an essential question in valuation. They say value is the present worth of future benefits, right? So um, this is really an important question. When, what's the timing of this economic stability? Uh, forecast, economic forecasts say probably the earliest is, is mid-2022. Um, some forecasts and even some sectors, they're saying maybe as late as 2024. Uh, it's gonna, some of it's gonna depend on what segments of the economy you know, you're talking about, right? Uh, we're already starting to see some return of employment in the core sectors and people are getting back to work and I think that's going to continue even as early as 2021. Uh, but I don't expect industries like the cruise ship industry or the luxury hotel business or resorts, you know, those are going to take longer to catch hold. Um, but in terms of 
GDP output and stability, you know, the, the normal base metrics that we look at, um, on a, in a good case, that's probably mid-2022. Okay, and as you mentioned before, low interest rates have really helped us get through this time. What do you expect for rates moving forward? I think the consensus opinion is that rates will have to stay low through 21 and into 22. Um, it, it'll be part, I, I don't think we'll start to see a movement in rates until we start to see A, inflation, and B, a return of GDP where everybody can get comfortable, where the Fed gets comfortable that, um, you know, it's, it'll be time to, to start moving rates up. They started and then we hit the coronavirus pandemic. You know, within a year and a half of them starting to inch rates up, uh, the coronavirus pandemic came along and forced them to bring it back to zero. Well, availability of financing um, really has an impact on, on commercial real estate values. What do you expect moving forward there? You know, again, I, I think the, um, the amount, we talked about the amount of capital in the marketplace, right? There's still a, f a tremendous amount of private equity capital that's been shifting to debt funds. So even there was some backstop if the banks weren't lending, uh, but we're expecting, you know, broad access to, to capital. The question is ultimately, is it going to be at a cost relative to, uh, you know, to the value of the assets? What's the cost of that capital? Right now, you know, you see in the multifamily sector that cap rates have actually been, you know, very stable. Well, the reason for that is that the spread between uh, on the debt costs has been great. So you're getting great leverage. Uh, and so that's kind of held the cap rates down. As the cost of capital starts to go up, then you know, we're gonna have to balance that against the cap rates and, and those investment rates will start to change over the next year and a half, I would expect. Okay, in the next segment, I'm gonna ask you to touch briefly on each sector and, and give us some thoughts there uh, from viewpoint 2021. But before we do that, I wanna ask you as an appraiser with doing business all over the country, how is it to do appraisals today? I guess some people are struggling with, well, how do you value uh, the future value of something ahead of you in this kind of time frame? Yeah, it's been a challenge. You know, yeah. we've, uh, we started this conversation as a company and then with our other appraisal colleagues in, major, in, in, in the major companies throughout the U.S. Um, how, how do you predict this, right? It is very much uh, something that we had to deal with. But I will say that we agreed early that the best way to, to, to handle this appraisal problem was to just be interviewing and talking to people all the time. The more people, the more input we have, the more understanding of what buyers are thinking and sellers are thinking. We can look at the economic numbers. What we don't have that we normally have is all of this transaction evidence, right? So the question was, you know, how do you forecast that? But we, we did a lot of research, we did a lot of interviews, uh, and we're constantly talking to a lot of people about how these um, how, how the values are unfolding and how price is unfolding. Yeah, yeah, well, you did it with me. You came in here and you didn't ask me about my family or my personal life. He's Michael, what's, what's the going on in the office? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in the business? All right, we're gonna take a short break and we get back. I'm gonna ask Tony about some highlights in each sector, what to expect moving forward. So stay with us, I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.
Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Well, today we're talking with Anthony Graziano. He is CEO of Integra Realty Resources. And uh, Tony, uh, I'd like to ask you now about some, some of the property sectors. And of course, the, the quick and easy one, I guess, because it's doing so well, is industrial. What do you foresee there? Sure. I mean, look, let's talk about the good news first, right? <laughs> yeah. um, Industrial actually has been going through a, a, a transformation, really, if you look at what, what the disruption in our supply chain resulting from this pandemic actually forced a lot of reexamination. We spent about a decade and a half working on just-in-time delivery, right? And then we ran out of toilet paper, and everybody realized we needed some just-in-case. And so there's actually been a lot of backfilling in the marketplace. You know, you hear the headlines about Amazon and Walmart and Target expansion uh, for, for e-commerce, but a lot of the uh, industrial has also been uh, infill and build out of the infrastructure for warehousing. And uh, I think you're going to see a domestic, a push back to domestic manufacturing or at least back up domestic manufacturing. And we're going to continue to see, obviously, the e-commerce expansion. Um, E-commerce, you know, hit records this year, obviously, with 17% of market share, excluding automobiles. So there's been a big, a continued uh, investment in that area. Uh, but ultimately, industrial held up. And I think as the marketplace started to evaluate what they were going to do with their capital, um, they looked to industrial to as the safe haven. Um, and, it, and it has been. You know, longer-term leases, good credit-rated tenants, all the basic fundamentals are there. Uh, so industrial held up very well uh, in, during the pandemic. Uh, it started hot and it stayed hot through through the through the pandemic in, in most most all markets, but in particular in the West and in the Northeast. Okay, and when you guys look at the view of what's uh, ahead of us here, when it comes to industrial and maybe onshoring and businesses you know, doing business in the U.S. and the impact there, you know, there's talk about increasing uh, corporate rates by the Biden administration. Um, did that play into it all, your thoughts on the future of some industrial properties around the U.S.? Sure. I mean, we have not uh, baked into our assumptions uh, the Biden presidency or policies yet, uh, but certainly uh, the market is looking at what those things could do, and that's going to have an impact. Um, hopefully, the, the recognition that we need this infrastructure, this industrial infrastructure, and continue to retain the businesses here uh, will be recognized. And I think as we started to run short on supplies uh, during this pandemic, uh, and as we had got into uh, analyzing where our component parts were in our vaccines and things of that nature, it became very obvious that a lot of this offshoring that we've been doing for 25 years maybe wasn't good in times of crisis. And so uh, hopefully that will be considered, uh, you know, in the policymaking. Yeah. Well, all right, well, let's jump to another sector that's been doing pretty well, and that's multifamily. What sure. do you guys foresee there? So multifamily has been aided quite a bit. You know, we talked about capital in the first part of the segment. Uh, multifamily has absolutely been aided not only by the cost of capital at the banking level, but the, you know, the Fannie and Freddie rates and the agency rates on multifamily just created an automatic spread um, positive during this, this uh, crisis. The other thing that was very positive, obviously, was that multifamily was not the first one to take the hit. Everybody was sent home 
And so everybody had to be somewhere. And so the demand for housing just generally held up. Now, what we have seen over the last nine months is most of the residential single family markets throughout the US are on fire. You know, double digit growth in most of the markets, a lot of demand, uh, you know, people moving out of apartments and moving into single family. Um, and of course, you also have just the general increase in collection rates. Um, the National Multifamily Housing Council uh, has been tracking internally collection rates uh, since the pandemic, well, pre-pandemic, but during the pandemic publishing. And we're running about a 5% collection loss right now on most of the Class A projects around the U.S., a little bit higher on the Class B. Um, our, our investors in the review of the things that we look at sort of validate that, although we continue to see some softening um, in collections heading into this fourth quarter. Um, we, can, we expect that that's going to actually erode a bit into 2021. Um, that combined with changes in demand and an expiration of eviction uh, bans is, I think is going to see, you're going to see some shifting in the multifamily space in 21. Uh, but cap rates have held up very, very well. And investor appetite is the headline there, right? I mean, most of the investor appetite has shifted to multifamily as a flight to safety because the office market, the hotel market, the retail market has so much uncertainty that people just shifted over and said, well, we need to buy multifamily. And so in a lot of markets, we saw multifamily held up pricing wise, uh, maybe even as good or better than the pen than pre pandemic. So it's that investor demand that's really offset the, the possible uh, hiccups in multifamily due to the, the eviction moratorium and uh, maybe job losses. Yeah, we think that we think that that's a big the investor demand is a big part of it. Um, and, you know, we're also in 21 and 22, we're going to deliver a lot of the inventory that's been under construction to meet the pre pandemic expectations, especially in the urban markets. So we're going to see more supply coming to market over the next year or two as well. And one thing I found interesting in your report, and we'll have a copy of the report, a link to it on our show website, CREshow.com, but uh, that was the demand from investors for urban versus suburban? Yeah, yeah, we look, we always look at the urban suburban mix because it tells us a couple of things, right? We, we segregate the data by class A and B, uh, and we also segregate urban versus suburban. And what's surprising is that the urban apartments, which are really taking the majority of the hit on rent retrades, uh, class A urban apartments are actually most desired by the investors. And we believe that that's really just a reflection of a flight to quality. The investors want to invest in something that even in the, well, although in the short term, may be taking some shorter, short term economic retrade uh, hits on, on demand, they feel long term, it's, it, the asset itself is well positioned uh, to return. So um, we're seeing institutional investors clearly prefer the urban class A multifamily as a flight to quality. Yeah, well, that's interesting to see. You'd expect otherwise, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and we, we are very active selling apartments in the southeast, and we've seen big demand in A and B, and we even have some C. Don't tell anybody, bud. Uh, <laughs> but B minus, B minus. <laughs> B minus, yeah. The, the, <laughs> if you're a seller, your client, it's B minus. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, a lot of demand there. Well, let's move on to another sector, uh, Tony, and that's uh, office. You know, office to me is really the most interesting sector to kind of think about what's what's going to happen moving forward because, you know, a lot of the rents are coming in, collections are good, but a lot of buildings are empty, right? Sure. I think the office sector is is really a great, is going to be a great, great case study over the next year or two. Uh, so many different things are happening that reflect the psychology of what's going on, right? We have this tension uh, where people are working from home, and so the office buildings are empty, and that's scary, especially if you're an investor, right? There's the operational challenges of the building. Big companies over the years have been shrinking the per person footprint smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden we have a coronavirus pandemic. How do you 
create social distance and what does that do to your occupancy load and how does that have to change? But the office, buildings, uh, office building sector generally was driven by stability, right? You generally had longer term leases, five and 10 year leases. You were expecting rate increases. So when you were buying an office building, you were expecting that you were buying the stability of long term cash flow. Um, and especially if you were paying up for an office building with good quality national tenants and rated tenants, those are actually the ones that right now have largely shut down. They have the liability. So they're sending people home. They're saying, we're not coming back to work, maybe for six months, maybe for 12 months. Maybe we're going to relook at this entire footprint over the next three to four years. And so the, the office buildings really are in, a, in this variable state of flux. Some are doing quite well, and yet others really have some big fundamental risks. People are going to, people, companies are going to change their footprints. And so I think there's going to be a very long tail. We're going to see a big change in, in user, the usage of office buildings over the next two to three years. And that's going to take a while to come back, but it will come back. I believe it's going to come back. So the office is not dead, huh? The office is not dead by a long shot. I don't think so. I think human nature and productivity requires us to be together. It's, it's a form of work that we, you know, as a service economy, we've all been in for a very long time. It works very well. Um, it's going to change, though, certainly, and, and it's going to take some time to work through that. And th that disruption is going to bring uh, price volatility. Well, I did a show where I talked about the office market and the 10 reasons why I think demand is going to come back. And also my prediction of when demand really peaks again, what do you think about the timing for demand for office space? When does it really peak again? Sure. So I think if you, know, if you factor in the economic return sometime in the middle to end of 22, or even if you're a little gloomier and you say it doesn't come back to 2023, I think it's the office sector is going to lag that a little bit. It's probably going to be another year or so after that. So I would say 2024 and beyond. That's not to say there aren't going to be good opportunities in this intervening time or that there aren't going to be really good properties, uh, because I think a lot of it is also going to depend on what industries decide that they're coming back to work. And, and so in certain markets, I think it'll be fine. But, but as an overall, when is the office market going to stabilize? For me, that feels like 2023. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. My, my, uh, I didn't want to tell you my estimate until you did yours. All right, so tell me, Michael. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? I think 18 to 36 months, depending okay. on the, the location. Well, considering it's yeah. January of 21, I guess I'm in the 24 to 30 month category. There you go. So now you feel better that you're right. <laughs> I, do, well, I don't know about right, but you know, they say they say the brokers and the appraisers who's yeah. more optimistic, yeah. right? So there now we know. There we, we go. Know. There we go. Well, um, let's talk about uh, the next sector, and that's uh, retail, um, because retail, everybody knows, is a lot of sticks and bricks has been hit really hard, especially in uh, urban markets, uh, downtowns where the office workers are not. But yeah, there's some suburban retail and things that are really doing well. What's your outlook there? Sure. So uh, we talk about it in the report. You know, interestingly, the western side of the country actually is holding up pretty well on the retail sector. Um, the Northeast, not so much. But if you look at um, that, it's the retail is not a universal category, right? You have retail like malls and, and, and regional malls. That was already on decline, right? The half, of the, half of the malls that, are, that have been struggling have been struggling pre-pandemic. They're already working on redevelopment plans. The problem now is some of the A malls are starting to struggle uh, because of the predominance of CMBS and on the larger retail side, there's also a lot of distress there. It's harder to work those deals out. Um, but the distress on the retail side as a result of e-commerce, that was happening, now that's just gonna accelerate. Um, at the same time, you know, retail tends to be well-positioned 
in the marketplace. Good locations, adequate parking. Uh, so retail is very adaptable to redevelopment, unlike, say, hotels. You know, hotels are much harder properties to redevelop or repurpose for alternative uses than retail. Um, the same, at the same token, uh, you know, you look at NetLease Retail. NetLease Retail has been performing very, very well. Uh, packages of NetLease Retail assets going out at tremendous cap rates because it's a kind of a flight to cash flow. So whenever there's uncertainty, the large, large higher behavior tends to say, let's buy secure cash flow. And so, you know, net lease retail has been, been very strong. Yeah. And what do you think about demand for sticks and bricks retail? When do, when does people get back and shop in these stores? <laughs> I think my, my, my professional opinion and personal opinion by observation is that there Every month that goes by that people continue to be stuck at home, there is a pent-up demand to go on vacation, and there is a pent-up demand to get out and go shopping and get back to, to normal. Um, I think as soon as it's safe, I think you're going to see a big spike in demand almost immediately where people are going to backfill and the old restaurant spaces that sat vacant you know, are going to get retenanted and people are going to start new businesses. And assuming that the economy has uh, you know, some reasonable dry powder, I think you're going to see a spike. Uh, when things, when when we get to the point where inoculations are uh, sort of accepted and the majority of the of the public is ready to go back out and be back in the world. Yeah, well, that's interesting to hear you say that because we're starting to see um, some of these tenants, retailers, and restaurants. They're really excited about some of the locations they can get now. Yeah, um, and and some of the deals that they can cut. So, uh, and the best thing you can do with retail, in all honesty, is to make it affordable so that your tenants are making money. Right. That, that's the that was always that's always the tension is to not just drive to the best market rent and then find a tenant that can afford to pay that rent. Yeah. You know, the best retailers really manage operationally to assist their tenants in making money. And those that are taking that position, I think, are, are holding up. I will say, though, you know, the psychology talking to other Integra offices and my colleagues around the country, the psychology of coronavirus is going to be very interesting. I think we're going to be studying it for decades to come. Um, you take markets where there were very strong lockdowns, California and Detroit and other areas. Those markets where, the, where they did a really hard case lockdown, those folks are much more reluctant to go out today than, say, in markets like Miami, where, yes, we were wearing masks and we were being, doing all of those things, but largely the market stayed open. And so the markets that kind of have stayed open, that market activity has continued. And the markets that were really on a hard shutdown, it's been slower for those people to get comfortable going back out. And so what we're seeing, like in South Florida, if you go out in South Florida now, people are coming down from the Midwest and they say, uh, do you guys even realize that there's a pandemic? <laughs> because they feel like right. that, that everything is active and it's, it's right. very activated. Yeah. Um, the New Yorkers, the same way. You know, We have people fleeing to Miami to relocate their businesses out of New York. But a lot of it is just the psychology that the economy is open. And they feel like everything is not boarded up and shut down. And when is it coming back? And so the psychological aspects on the demand and usage also relate to whether a lot of these governments did a hard shutdown and for how long. Yeah, yeah we just took out a little office building for about eight and a half million in West Palm Beach. And it's fully occupied. All the tenants paid through COVID. So it's like, what? COVID what? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, what? Yeah, it was, it was really stable. We've uh, seen that playing out again and again, particularly as you get north of Broward County and, and you know, Florida generally was, was uh, much more open through the pandemic 
to its detriment maybe on health. I don't know. I don't know what the statistics will show at the end, but I can tell you from an economic perspective, it's been much more positive in terms of attracting back investment than, and people wanting to come. Yeah. Well, we've also seen that trend in CBD versus uh, suburban. Like we're selling a bunch of uh, suburban office buildings and we went and toured them and uh, they're in a contract, they're selling them and 85% of the tenants were in, they were active, they were operating, but yet we come back to our building, which is in a perimeter market high rise with an elevator, there's hardly anyone working in these buildings. So it really also seems to be the same thing kind of suburban versus uh, CBD, at least here in Atlanta. Do yeah. you see that in other places? We're, we're seeing that in other places. Yeah. You know, there's another factor that we don't talk about uh, a lot, which is the, the predominant use of mass transit to get to those urban locations. So a lot of it isn't about necessarily being in the building. It's about how do I get, to, how do I normally get to yeah. the building and what am I going to do when I get there? And, you know, you even think about an elevated building, you know, that's six or eight stories or 10 stories versus maybe a three-story suburban office building. A lot easier to make some choices there. Um, so yes, we're, we're seeing that certainly. And, and I think obviously the migration patterns of people going out and buying homes in the suburbs is gonna naturally lead to a resurgence of business activity in those suburban office buildings. Right, right, makes sense. Well, let's talk about the sector that's really been hit the, the worst and that's hospitality. Sure, what do you wanna know? <laughs> it's terrible. No. When, when's it come back? <laughs> <laughs> hospitality is going, you know, is going to be a long haul. There's, there's a lot of distress in the hospitality sector. Um, the assets tend to go to the CMBS market. Um, there is about a 20% delinquency now on the hotel CMBS that's being worked through. And that's the reported headline delinquency. But if something's been, if the can's been kicked down the road, that's not even currently being there's called a lot of that. So we think that there's a lot more. We think there's probably 40 or 50% distress. Um, if you talk to the hotel industry associations and the hotel operators, you know, about two thirds of them say, we hope we can make it another, you know, another six months at this occupancy level. Um, the luxury and upscale uh, occupancies, you know, took a big plunge, probably the hardest hit. Um, the limited service, not as much. Um, again, as business travel starts to expand, the you know, limited service will catch hold, but it's, it's a two-pronged effort, right? It's occupancy and rate. And so um, I think the hospitality industry is in for a much longer ride, probably 2024 looks like the nearest return to stability. And that assumes that a lot of a lot of products going to get taken out of the market by either adaptive reuse or closure, um, and that there's going to be sufficient capital there uh, to be able to continue to operate the assets. Today, in the in the hospitality industry, the trick isn't you know what's the capitalization rate. The trick is what are my holding costs to get back to where I can apply a capitalization rate. Yeah, yeah, good point. Well, I may be more optimistic uh, than. Well, I'm supposed to be more optimistic than you, right? You're really an appraiser. I'm a broker. That's right. That's right. Uh, Everything's good. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> that's good. But uh, I think that they, there is a lot of pent-up demand, as you mentioned earlier, for people to get out and travel. Like, and then I just look at myself and my team. We can't wait to get out and see our clients in New York and Chicago and, and D.C. and get back out. And I can't wait to go to the Caribbean and and, uh, and, and go to some resorts. I agree 100%. And I think, again, that pent-up demand, when, when we get to some magical point, you know, if we ever got to some magical point where everybody realized, okay, it's time to go back on vacation, you'd see a huge spike, and that would be fantastic. But the problem is I think everybody's going to get there at a different time, and it's going to take a lot longer than everybody thinks. So I completely agree that the pent-up demand is there. We're seeing it, again, in most of the... Uh, tourist markets, even in you know, Orlando and, and South Florida and Southern California and even Texas to a large extent, 
where people are saying, I, I, wanna, I need to get somewhere warm and I need to be outside. And that's absolutely driving you know, positive travel, even today, even with uh, the overhang of, of concern. But uh, the capacity in the hotel business, again, this was sort of already happening pre-pandemic, right? These, these challenges and the tension between supply and demand and how much more do we need uh, was already happening. So I, I just think it's gonna take longer for everybody to wake up one day and say, okay, it's time to go on vacation again. Yeah. Well, Orlando may be a good example for us around the country to kind of look at how, how are hotels really performing in that market generally. Again, tons of supply, down on rates, down on occupancy. Um, Orlando's also a big convention market, you know, so it's not, uh, you know, unlike some markets that are travel destination markets just for vacation, that's also a huge convention market. And so the, the, the hotel room supply relates to conventions, as with San Diego. And you know, I know I'm, I'm sure you've experienced in in your business circles mm -hmm. who's having a convention in 2021. Yeah. You know, there. I mean, even our even our meetings, our in-person meetings, you know, company meetings and things like that have been curtailed and continue to be curtailed because you have this this psychological uh, problem. Like when when does 50 when are 50 percent of the people or more going to be ready to get on an airplane and sit in a room with everybody for two or three days and go to dinner and do these things? And that's why we think it's 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 going to be past 2021. Yeah, and to your point, some people are ready uh, right away, and some people may take them a while, especially if they come from a market like Los Angeles or New York, where they've seen all these huge shutdowns. Yeah, like I think some of it's the shutdown, some of it's whatever the politics are in in that state or wherever you may lean politically, uh, and it is also your personal experience. You know, I have a I have a high degree of empathy for people that have gone through not only death, possibly death in their family, but also, you know, really close health scares. Uh, a lot of people are worried about their parents and their grandparents. The ironic part from my observation is the older generation is sort of in the mode to say, we're just gonna keep living. We don't have enough time to sit around to 2024. And so uh, Christmas dinner, I'm coming. If I get coronavirus, so be it. Yeah. I'd rather have one good last Christmas dinner than wait yeah. till next year. Uh, it tends to be that the older ones are, I think, a little more resilient. Well, but, uh, that's a good point. I told my son that if I, uh, we ride street motorcycles, and I said, son, you need to be really careful because if I passed away, people would say, well, Michael had a good life. Right. I said, son, if you pass away, it's tragic. That's right. I mean, it's terrible. It is tragic. It is. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good point. Well, Tony, what would you leave our audience with around the country to think about uh, from doing the report and, and, and talking about it? Uh, what would you leave our audience with to think about? I'd, I'd like to say, you know, I think we're getting a clearer picture of when different sectors will return and kind of where the economy will, will turn. Obviously, uh, some of this is baked into the stock market, into the housing market, is that employment will continue to, to return. We're going to see continued job growth in 21. If that changes, predictions are off the table. Um, at the same time, you know, policies at the federal and state level uh, are going to be important, and that you know, the public policy to be able to continue to drive liquidity is going to be important for the real estate industry. We do think there's going to be disruption in 21 and even early 22, but it's by far a lot better than I thought it was going to be even three to three to four months ago. So, so uh, some reason for optimism. I think there's reason for optimism. I say we, we can escape getting killed by the sword and maybe just get cut. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. Tony, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the Thank show. Thank you, Michael. Great to see you again. Great information. Well, let us know what you think around the country. Do uh, you agree with us? Does it take longer, shorter? What do you think cap rates are going to do? What about the sector that you work in? Please let us know uh, what you think and connect with us on your favorite social media. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. 
and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE show. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.